Hi, and welcome to Crash Course Catholicism, a podcast about Catholic teaching and why it makes sense. I'm your host, Caitlin West. friends, happy new year. Welcome to our first episode of 2024, the topic of which is the gifts and charisms of the Holy Spirit. So, Pope Francis recently announced that his prayer intention for January 2024 is for increased appreciation for the diversity of charisms and gifts within the Catholic Church. So for that reason, I thought it would be a good idea to begin the year by talking a bit about what charisms or charismatic gifts are and the difference between charismatic gifts and the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit because often those things can get a bit confused, but they're actually two different things. So first of all, we're going to do a bit of a recap on the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit quite briefly. And this is a topic that we've discussed already at different times on this podcast. And then we're going to especially look at the charismatic gifts. We'll discuss what they are, how they work, and how we can discern what our own charismatic gifts are. So we've talked a little bit about the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit before in episodes 13, 18, and 19. So if you want to think more deeply about that topic, you can revisit those episodes. But in case you've forgotten, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are gifts that are given to every single Christian at their baptism. They are permanent dispositions that are infused in the soul, and they are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. Now, for the purposes of this episode, there are two things that we need to know about these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. First of all, everyone gets the same seven gifts at their baptism. And secondly, these seven gifts are oriented towards our own personal holiness. So let's break those two points down. First of all, everyone gets the same seven gifts at their baptism. Now, why is that the case? Well, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are necessary tools that every single person needs to become a saint. So think about if you have ever been to something like rock climbing or paintball or laser tag with your friends. When you get there, Everyone is given the same equipment. So maybe everyone gets a harness and climbing shoes because you can't do rock climbing without those things. And the same is true of us in our faith. We, all of us, need wisdom and fortitude and piety, etc. if we're going to become saints. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone makes use of those gifts in the same way or to the same extent, which is why some people are wiser or more pious than others. When we use the seven gifts, we develop habits and virtues. And if we don't use them, then we don't develop those good habits and virtues. But it remains true that when we are baptized, we all start out with the same set of infused dispositions or gifts that will help us to grow holy. And this leads to our second point, which is that the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are oriented towards our personal holiness. If we think about each of those gifts, we can see that they're all things that will help us to become better individuals, to become saints, things like fortitude and knowledge and piety. 
Now, this doesn't mean that we don't use the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the service of others, but first and foremost, like putting on an oxygen mask before you help someone else, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit help us to become holy so that we can then serve others. Now, these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are different from the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are also referred to as charisms. So we find a list of charismatic gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They include the word or utterance of wisdom and knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, the gift of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Now, the charismatic gifts are distinct from the seven gifts in that, first of all, not everyone receives the same gifts or charisms. And secondly, the purpose of these gifts is primarily to help us serve others, to build up the church, rather than to just grow in our own personal holiness. So charisms are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to allow persons or groups to carry out their own unique mission within the church. So if we compare that list of charisms with the list of the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can see that charisms are much more oriented towards the service of others. So for instance, the seven gifts include understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And then the charismatic gifts include the utterance or word of wisdom and knowledge. So in other words, the ability to effectively communicate your knowledge and wisdom to others. And those are obviously two very different things. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you find yourself being like, oh, it's so frustrating. I have no problem understanding the truths of the Catholic faith. They make total sense to me. But as soon as someone asks me to explain something to them, I become tongue-tied and I don't know what to say. Well, part of that might just be that you're still learning how to explain the truths of the faith to others. And this is something that you can learn on a human level to an extent. But we also have to remember that not everyone is given the particular charism of communicating knowledge to others. Not everyone is called to teach within the Catholic Church, although some people are. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the personal gift of knowledge or wisdom, that you don't know your faith. So why is this the case? Why is it that not everyone is given the same charisms? Well, St. Paul puts it perfectly in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them as he chose. So in other words, the whole church, which is the mystical body of Christ, is made up of people who all perform unique functions that each contribute in different ways to the building up of the whole body. Like an eye or a hand or a foot, the different charisms of the Holy Spirit allow different people and groups within the church to contribute in ways suited to them and in ways that are needed in the church at particular times and in particular places. Point 2003 of the Catechism says, 
Charisms are oriented toward sanctifying grace and are intended for the common good of the church. They are at the service of charity, which builds up the church. Now, that final sentence is important, and it brings us to another point about charisms. The charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit are at the service of charity, which builds up the church. In other words, they are not intended to divide Catholics or to create little factions within the church. Our differences and different gifts should unite us rather than dividing us or promoting cliques or competition. This is really what Pope Francis is getting at in his prayer intention for January. He says, there is no need to fear the diversity or charisms in the church. So sometimes we might look at different groups or individuals and we might be tempted to make comparisons and maybe to look down on other people because they're doing things differently or to feel jealous because they seem to be attracting more people or to feel afraid that, oh, well, those people are doing that thing. So maybe I should be doing that thing. Why aren't I doing that? But the Catechism and the Pope and the Bible all remind us that diversity, if it is at the service of the church, which includes being within the bounds of church teaching, we're not talking about splinter groups here, that genuine and healthy diversity can actually build up the church. So we shouldn't ever be afraid of it. Pope Francis uses the example of the Eastern Catholic churches. So not the non-Catholic Orthodox churches, but Eastern Catholic churches. He says, they have their own traditions, their own characteristic liturgical rites, yet they maintain the unity of the faith. They strengthen it, not divide it. So in the same way that an eye or a foot each performs a function, the diverse parts of the mystical body of Christ all contribute to the building up of the body if they are united to that body and to the church's teachings. Now, I've kind of been implying something here that's worth saying explicitly, which is that charisms can be granted to individual persons, but they can also be granted to groups of people within the church. So we can think about something like the neocatechumenal way, which has a special charism or, or gift of renewing people's faith and forming them in the truths of the faith. Or we can think about Opus Dei, whose charism is to help people live holiness in their everyday lives. Or we can think about religious orders like the Sisters of Life. Oh my gosh, I am a super fan of the Sisters of Life. They are the best. They have a special charism to protect and enhance the sacredness of all human life from the moment of conception until natural death. So within the church, God sometimes entrusts groups of people with specific missions and gives them special and unique gifts that allow them to carry out those missions. So let's go through that list of charismatic gifts that St. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12, remembering that, as the Catholic Encyclopedia notes, this list isn't exhaustive. And in fact, there are many, many gifts that the Holy Spirit might choose to give people to help them build up the church. But as a kind of introduction, let's look at the specific gifts that St. Paul describes. First of all, he talks about the utterance or word of wisdom and knowledge. 
The Catholic Encyclopedia describes this charism as the grace of propounding the faith effectively, of bringing home to the minds and hearts of the listener with divine persuasiveness the hidden mysteries and moral precepts of Christianity. So this gift is one that enables people to effectively communicate the truths of the faith in a way that draws others into deeper relationship with God. So this might be a gift that builds up the church in kind of little everyday ways or in bigger, more extraordinary or more visible ways. So I think of like my parents, for instance, I think they both really had this gift. They are amazing at explaining the truths of the faith in an accessible and clear way, but they weren't necessarily called to exercise this gift in an extraordinary way. Instead, it was more like the conversations that we had around the dinner table that helped us kids to understand our faith better, or the way that they could explain things to their friends and family members, or the way that they taught, you know, catechism classes, or helped out in the parish with children's liturgy, etc. I had an experience once where a friend of mine texted me and told me that she was really going through a hard time and she was struggling with her faith and she had some questions and and she really wanted to talk them through. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, no worries. I will be on my lunch break in like half an hour. If you want to call me, we can talk through it. And my friend replied and was like, oh, actually, I was wondering if I could have your mum's number (laughs) because she explains things really well. So, okay, my parents were able in a very everyday way to draw the people around them closer to God and to serve the church through that gift of the word of knowledge and wisdom. Other people experience this gift in more visible ways. So the Catholic Encyclopedia points to St. Peter's speech to the crowds of people on the day of Pentecost, when thousands were converted. Or we can think of some of the great saints who had this incredible capacity to catechize and convert people. There are also groups within the church who have this charism. So we can think of the Dominicans and their mission of explaining the knowledge of God and the Catholic faith. Then we have the charism of faith. Now, of course, faith is a supernatural virtue that every single Christian receives at their baptism. It's one of the three supernatural virtues, faith, hope, and charity. So we all have faith. But when it comes to the charism of faith, we can think of people who have a uniquely powerful and unshakable faith and a capacity to bear witness to that faith and to increase the faith of other people. The Catholic Encyclopedia describes this charism as that strong faith which removes mountains, casts out devils, and faces the most cruel martyrdom without flinching. Such faith has been granted by God in all ages to saints and martyrs, and to many holy men and women whose hidden lives offered no occasion for miracles or martyrdom. So it's pointing out that this charism of faith can be experienced on different levels. Sometimes it's really visible, and other times it's kind of invisible, but it's still building up the church. So I don't know if you've ever met someone like this, someone who just has this incredibly solid faith that inspires other people to greater faith. I remember hearing an anecdote once about Mother Teresa. Apparently someone came to her once with a really important prayer request, and she immediately knelt down with that person and prayed that their request might be granted. 
And as soon as they had finished that prayer of petition, Mother Teresa was like, right, okay, and now let's offer a prayer of thanksgiving to God for answering our prayer. And the person she was with was like, what? But God hasn't my answered my prayer yet. We literally just prayed it. And she was like, no, maybe not, but he will. <laughs> she was just so sure that God would answer their prayers that she immediately said a prayer of thanksgiving. You might also think of people who have held firm in their beliefs despite experiencing a kind of martyrdom. And in that way, they have borne witness to the faith. So for some people, it's literal martyrdom. And in other people, it might involve social ostracism or losing their job or being publicly mocked because of their beliefs. So people with the charism of faith have an ability to witness to and encourage faith in others. They're like channels of God's grace and to encourage faith in others. Next, we have the gift of healing. And this gift can manifest in extraordinary ways through the miraculous healing of other people, but it can also manifest in smaller ways. Maybe you have a particular gift of being able to heal people through your love and patience and affection. Maybe you're able to be Christ to others and bring them back to God when their brokenness has drawn them away from him. So I think of the work of the John Paul II Healing Center in the United States, people like Bob Schutz and Jake Kim and Sister Miriam James. If you haven't already, I really recommend listening to the podcast Restore the Glory, which is all about a kind of faith-centered and clinically informed road to emotional and psychological healing. It is great. Now, this gift of healing is closely associated with the gift of miracles, and this one's pretty self-explanatory. Many great saints have experienced this gift in their capacity to miraculously heal others or change people's hearts and lives through the Holy Spirit. Next, we have the gift of prophecy. The Catholic Encyclopedia defines this as the gift of knowing and being able to manifest things hidden from the ordinary knowledge of man. So what does that mean? (laughs) Well, it can mean a couple of things. First of all, prophecy can refer to the God-given knowledge of past or future events, as we see in some of the prophecies of the Old Testament. It can also refer to the knowledge of things that are hidden, including matters of the human heart. So, for instance, I remember hearing that St. John Vianney, the curé of ours, exercised this gift in the confessional. People would come to him and sometimes they wouldn't confess all of their mortal sins because they were ashamed. And St. John Vianney would kind of miraculously know when someone was holding something back and he'd be like, okay, there is something that you're not saying. What is it? And then that would prompt that person to confess the sin that they'd hidden. Then we have the discernment of spirits. The Catholic Encyclopedia says that the discerning of spirits is the supernatural gift enabling its possessor to judge whether certain extraordinary manifestations are caused by a good or an evil spirit, or by natural agents. It is not uncommon now among confessors and spiritual directors. So this gift refers to a God-given ability to know whether God is present in a particular, and especially in an extraordinary event or circumstance. Now, the encyclopedia refers to confessors and spiritual directors as often having that gift. And that's why it can be really useful to talk to a priest or a spiritual director if you've had an experience or something has come to you in your prayer and you're not sure if it's coming from God or not. 
Now, that's not to say that priests and spiritual directors are infallible, but they're often able to shed some light in those situations, guided by the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we have the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, first of all, what does it mean to have the gift of tongues? Because there is actually some debate about it in the Catholic Church and among Christians more broadly. Some people argue that the gift of tongues is a kind of private language of prayer between a person and God. Other people argue that it literally means being able to speak in other languages. And still other people argue that it refers to a specific literal language, but it's the language of the Holy Spirit that some people can speak and others can interpret. Now, the Catholic Church doesn't have an official teaching about the gift of tongues, other than affirming that it is, in fact, a gift that the Holy Spirit may choose to give someone. But she doesn't kind of come down on the precise nature of that gift. The main thing to remember is that, as with all charisms, the purpose of this gift is to build up the church, to draw others towards Christ. So that's the main thing to keep in mind when we think about this gift. Is it being used to draw others towards Christ? Another way that I've heard people talk about the gift of tongues is a capacity to share the word of God with a variety of people from different walks of life or to adapt what you're saying to different levels of knowledge or ability so that all kinds of people can hear and understand and access the truths of the faith. Now, there are, as I've said, many other charisms that the Holy Spirit might grant to a person or group of people. Those are just the ones that St. Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 12. And it's worth thinking and especially praying about which gifts the Holy Spirit might have blessed you with to help you to serve others and build up the church. So how do I know (laughs) which gifts I have? Well, the first thing we need to do is, of course, pray about it. Place ourselves before God and ask the Holy Spirit to show us how he wants to use us in the church. Now, one thing to bear in mind is that there is a difference between human talents and gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is why it's important to pray about it rather than just assuming that my most obvious human talent is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Something that I am good at humanly might not necessarily be something that the Holy Spirit has given me a supernatural gift in. Now, talents and charisms can get a bit confused and the line between them can be blurry, which isn't always a bad thing because as St. Thomas Aquinas says, grace builds on nature. So there are plenty of times where a person has a human talent for something and then the Holy Spirit also grants them a supernatural gift on top of that talent that is very common. But it's not automatic. Not everyone who has a talent or is drawn towards something also has a supernatural gift in that area. And in, like conversely, some people have supernatural gifts in areas where they don't have any human talents. And God can allow that as a way of manifesting his glory and reminding people that the Holy Spirit is acting in that person. So I might be the world's most amazing public speaker, but maybe then I get up in front of a group of people and I talk to them about my faith and it might be very exciting and impressive and flashy, but it doesn't necessarily draw people into a deeper relationship with God. In contrast, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you're listening to someone speak about their faith or like give a class or a testimony, and maybe they're like, 
mumbling a bit or they're a bit quiet, but they're also like really passionate and on fire with the Holy Spirit. And you find yourself being deeply moved and encouraged and motivated to draw closer to God, despite the fact that objectively speaking, maybe they don't have many skills in that area. Now, this leads us to the second point, which is that when we're discerning our gifts and charisms, we need to think about what are the things that I'm good at that also build up the church and bring other people closer to God. So this is a crucial factor. We're not just looking to discover our human talents. We're looking to discover areas that bear fruit in our lives, the places where our skills and the gifts that God has given us help other people to grow closer to God. That can be a really big distinguishing factor between purely human talents and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that we can do is speak to someone who might be able to offer us some insight. So this can be a really good thing to do in spiritual direction. So maybe there's like a priest that I can go to and be like, hey, I'm trying to figure out how God wants to use me in the church. And I think this might be my charism. Can you maybe help me or or give me some insight and guidance? And in fact, especially when it comes to the more extraordinary charismatic gifts like miracles and healing and speaking in tongues, It can be really important to submit those gifts to the authority of the church and allow them to be assessed and approved. Point 801 of the Catechism says, No charism is exempt from being referred and submitted to the church's shepherds. Now, the reason for this isn't because the church hierarchy is full of like control freaks who want to squash the spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. No. In the Vatican II document, Lumen Gentium, it says that the office of the church in this instance is not to extinguish the spirit, but to test all things and hold fast to what is good, and also to ensure that everyone is working for the common good. So this, for instance, is something that happens when there's a new initiative or group within the Catholic Church that has a particular charism. That group, especially as it becomes larger and more official, will seek approval from the church as a way of promoting unity, ensuring that the initiative is coming from God, that it's within the bounds of church teaching, and that we're all kind of holding fast to what is good. We're making sure that anything good within the church is able to benefit the whole mystical body of Christ. We also see this kind of submission, for instance, in some of the great saints, because some of those saints were, you know, performing miracles or doing really extraordinary things. And one thing that you see consistently is that they will always take those things to their spiritual director and be like, okay, this is what's going on um, and kind of submit it to them. Now, one final point that's worth making about the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit is that charisms aren't necessarily a reflection of holiness. So here we can refer to the parable of the talents in the Gospel of Matthew. In this parable, different people are entrusted with different portions of their master's wealth. And when the master returns, they are each called to give an account of how they have used what they have been given. And each person's worth and value as a servant of the master is assessed not according to how much they have been given, but according to what they have done with what they've been given. And the same is true of us. 
you might look at another person and think like, oh man, that person has so many gifts and I have like one. (laughs) Or maybe you read about a saint who performed astonishing miracles and you're like, oh, well, the only miracle that I've done this week is arriving at mass only a little bit late with my three children. (laughs) And we have to remember that the charismatic gifts are not markers of a person's holiness. They are freely given gifts from the Holy Spirit that we have a responsibility to exercise for the glory of God. But it's not like the holier you are, the more charismatic gifts you have. So whatever gifts you've been given, whether they're small or extraordinary, they are an invitation from God to contribute to the building up of his church, to become holy and to help others become holy with his grace. It is through implementing the gifts and charisms of the Holy Spirit that we become saints and help others to do the same. Okay, well, that's all we have time for today. Um, <laughs> fun fact, I'm actually not sure what we're going to do in our next episode because I have a few options and I haven't picked one yet. So it's like a nice little cliffhanger for all of us. What's going to happen next time? Who knows? Certainly not me. Um, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> have a fantastic fortnight and I will talk to you later. Okay, bye.